Money, a podcast network that understands the assignment. The Alive Podcast Network has launched the world's first content distribution app tailored by and for podcasters and listeners of color. Subscribers will enjoy a wide variety of shows ranging from spiritual to comedic to inspirational. Podcasters can house their content and merch in one spot and monetize from a central location. Visit AlivePodcastNetwork.com coming soon to iOS and Android. Sign up today to get a six-month subscription for $20. You can thank me later. You're about to listen to youth produce content from Listen Up Youth Radio. Listen Up is a Twin City social enterprise working at the intersection of youth employment, leadership, and media production. You're listening to Youth Soup, the podcast that adds some youth to your soup. That was so good. Yay. Yes, Gloria. So happy to be here. My name is Georgia Fort, pronouns she, her, hers, and I have been in media for about 15 years. Awesome. Okay. So my first question would be, uh, what drew you to journalism? Well, I started in radio. Oh, Similar to you. (laughs) And I just fell in love with having community conversations. Uh, Eventually, I found myself co-hosting a morning show at a hip-hop station in Georgia and, you know, was able to be on air in Atlanta at some of the big radio stations in Atlanta. But after so long, and I think after becoming a mom, I wanted to have conversations that have more substance since radio was very focused on entertainment, at least the radio I was doing. And so I started watching a lot of the news programming that was happening in the market that I was working in and saw how visual storytelling and journalism could be an effective way to move conversations forward in our community. And so I made the the jump and it was a uh, bit of a challenge at first to transition from hip-hop radio to news, but I absolutely fell in love with the uh, accountability um, aspect of, you know, talking to officials about things that they otherwise get to kind of sweep under the rug or being able to center black and brown voices on issues and topics where normally we're left out. Yeah. My next question will be, like, um, what do you like about your job? Like, what aspects do you um, look forward to the most every day when you're doing your profession? I love being able to be in a space where someone can feel heard and seen. Um, There's an aspect of storytelling that's really healing. If you have ever been through something that has been challenging and you've been gaslit or like your voice has been shut out to be able to be in a space and share your story and share your experience and be heard and be affirmed can be really really healing and so I think my favorite part of what I do is being in those moments where I can listen to the person I'm interviewing and and really it feels like you know, I'm listening to the person I'm having a conversation with, right? It doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like an interview. It's a conversation. And so just affirming them and hearing them and giving them positive energy to overcome whatever it is that they're experiencing. That to me is really the, the, the part of my work that 
I value the most. Yeah. I mean, like, with this um, interview right now, I mean, it kind of seems like we're already doing, like, a conversation. Yes. Like, I really, like, I really um, connect with, like, a lot of things that, like, you're saying, you know. Um, I actually started off with, like, the writing aspect of journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, Before I started doing radio, I just started when I started um, Listen Up, which was, like, around November. And, um, you know... When I was doing, like, the writing part, I just really loved, like, interviewing a lot of people and, like, just writing about it and, like, getting it published. Um, And I accomplished all of that through um, the St. Thomas program called 360 Journalism. Um, I I enjoy it really much. But, yeah, it's just all about, about, like, connecting with, like, the people and, like, just more over, like, valuing what they're saying. That's right. I just love getting to know people through those conversations. Yes, yes. Um, did you grow up watching or um, seeing black journalists like yourself in the media? And if so, how were they portrayed? Or if their stories were, like, even seen? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't recall a ton of black journalists or anchors other than probably Robin Robinson. And... I think probably because, well, we just didn't really have a lot of black and brown journalists and anchors here in Minnesota on air. But then also, too, because in my household, we didn't really grow up watching the news. So, yeah, I didn't see a ton of of people who look like me reflected in the media. Um, when I did start to see them and, and I did start to pay attention, one of the things that was, like, really hard to stomach and digest was that they oftentimes had conformed their image to like a European standard of beauty, right? Like we didn't turn on the TV certainly and see black women with natural textured hair or braids, like their hair was straightened or they, they had wigs. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But what I learned in my time in mainstream media was that that is actually what a lot of news anchors and reporters are required to do. In fact, I actually got in trouble for coming to work with curly hair. Um, They are now obviously like passing bills like the Crown Act to prevent that type of hair discrimination from happening. But for decades, black women on TV, while yes, it's affirming for black girls to see that, and we we sh- we deserve to see that. We also deserve as black women to show up to work as our full authentic self, whether that means wearing a wig and straightening our hair, or whether that means rocking a fro and rocking braids. Yeah, I heard about the Crown Act. I was so happy when they passed that in Minnesota. Like, we really need that, mm-hmm. in this like conformed state that we're living in right now. So yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time who are like, oh, that's a thing of the past. There's no way that happens. Okay, name five black people on TV who have dreads. I'll wait. Because you can't, because it's just, it's a a standard of the industry. There are unspoken rules and expectations that we as black people conform our image to uh, a way that's, you know, either appropriated you know like a a white standard or 
um, in a way that makes white folks comfortable? Um, so you were one of the two journalists that was in the courtroom during the Derek Chauvin sentencing. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. How was that like for you to be one of the very few journalists to be there during that time? It was really intense to be in the room when a judge would decide whether or not Chauvin would truly be held accountable for murdering George Floyd. Like that was, it was heavy, you know, we have to understand that the murder of George Floyd in context in, in the history of America, right, is going to forever be known as a turning point, you know, um, a significant event that changed the trajectory of our country, a significant event that led to a racial reckoning, right? And so to be in the room when that determination would be made, it was very historic too, you know? And so to be a part of history in that way um, is both an honor and a privilege, but also comes with a, a big responsibility, right? And so I really paid close attention to the interactions that George Floyd's family was having with one another um, because if you recall the coverage, the media coverage of that event, of that day, was mainly focused on Chauvin, you know, basically speaking for the first time, Chauvin's mother's reaction, you know. But how much did you really hear about Floyd's brothers who were in the back of the courtroom praying? You didn't hear about that, right? But if you follow my work, you did. Because at every corner of, you know, at every at every turn in the coverage that I've done, I've always tried to humanize George Floyd and his family, right? And so, yeah, I, to be able to, in a small way, contribute to changing the narrative around the sentencing is, you know, it's historic, um, but very intense. I remember making eye contact with Chauvin making eye contact with his mother and just, you know, like the energy that came from that and that came from them. And to be in the room when, you know, the judge came out with how long Chauvin would be spending behind bars, right? I think he was sentenced over 20 years. So that's not a small amount of time. But I also know that George Floyd's family was hoping that Potentially, he'd be serving a, a life sentence, that he would get the maximum sentence, right? So it was um, a step forward for Minnesota in terms of having accountability and it being the first time that a cop was held accountable, a white cop, right? Um, but, I mean, following that, we had the Kimberly Potter trial. And she got, what, like two years? So, yeah, it's um, – I think – at large, we're all still really processing in real time the significance of what we've all been through collectively in Minnesota over the last three years. Yeah, um, I don't mean to like take away from this interview, but um, about a year ago, I did this like documentary. Um, 
it was for a school project, but, like, I put my all into it because, like, I'm really into, like, the news and, like, journalism as well. It's basically about, like, racism in Minnesota. And I go as far back as, like, um, the Fort Snelling uh, slavery happenings going on over mm-hmm. there. And it leads up to, like, um, the... Uh, what do you call it? The... The Arthur and Edith Lee's house story. Mm-hmm. Um, it also talks about like the 2020 to 2022 like racial protesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it covers uh, the killing of uh, George Floyd. You know, Amir Locke, all of them. And I interviewed like a lot of like notable people, um, like uh, news reporter um, Susan Elizabeth, mm-hmm. um, one of my other friends, um, and you know, it was. I put my all into it. It was just, like, it really, truly, like, documents, like, a lot of the things that, like, you're talking about right now. And I see a lot of, like, those connections as well. And yeah, um, I'll send it to you if you want to, like, check I'd it out. I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> it's important that our history is documented. Yeah. And so I'm so proud of you for taking the initiative and answering the call to document what's happening in real time. I don't think it takes away at all because when you think about the history of our state, when we know our history and we know what has happened here, like redlining, we can better understand and have context for the racial disparities we currently live in, right? Like only 17% of black people own their homes. Okay, yep, redlining like definitely impacted the ability for black people to buy their homes. Also, the construction of 94 going straight through a Rondo community, a thriving black neighborhood, also is context for why we have one of the lowest percentages of home ownership rates in the country, right? Because of these things that have happened historically. And I know that for me, I was really um, taken aback when I realized that A hundred years before George Floyd was murdered, there was a lynching in Duluth in 1920. And it was like a a hundred years and a month was like the difference between when the lynching happened and when George Floyd, a lot of people would say, was lynched, right? Um, and, And looking at those connections and what changed and what hasn't changed. So I think that history is very relevant in helping us understand the context in which we're currently existing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the lynching in Duluth. I also mentioned that as well in my documentary. Mm-hmm. I had to do, like, a lot of, like, extensive research. But, yeah, um, it just mainly, like, for me, the upcoming of the documentary was just, like, one day I was in um, 360 and I was talking to um, one of the staffs and, you know, they were talking about how, like, they moved to Minnesota because they were originally from Chicago and um, they were talking about how, like, the people here, like, they're so, like, passive-aggressive and, like, there's a lot of, like, microaggressions going mm-hmm. on here that they have never experienced before, like, yeah. outside of Minnesota. So it's, like not a lot of people are talking about those microaggressions in Minnesota so it's like it's oh they are they just call it Minnesota nice right yeah Yeah. so it's like it's really up to like someone like me to like just really like put it out there and like just basically that's right that's right yeah that's right um 
This is an expert opinion question, but um, as a black reporter, um, what does changing narratives in the black community mean to you? Changing narratives to me is important because historically American media has been used to criminalize and dehumanize black people. And so changing the narrative is essential for the psyche of America to really perceive who we are correctly. You know, like when you think about the influence media has on the way people think and the way people perceive issues and the way people perceive people and community, like media is very influential, right? Malcolm X says the media has the power to make a lie the truth and to make the truth a lie. And so how can black people be perceived correctly in the minds of Americans when we have been portrayed through blackface in movies. We have been portrayed through just mugshots on newscasts. We have been typecasted in characters that embody stereotypes that aren't even accurate, right? So there is a huge need to change the narrative of who we are on screen, who we are in print, who we are on air, because I don't think that we have a history in this nation, in the industry of media, of portraying our people accurately, right? Like, sure, we have to change the narrative. Media reform is essential. And I think that's part of the reason why I've committed my career to fighting for narrative justice. Wow, that was really powerful. (laughs) Um, um, Okay, so uh, congrats on launching a new CW TV show. Thank you. I'm so excited to watch it. Me too. I have the channel, channel so I can't wait to watch it at the time. Yes. Um, Would you care to talk more about it and explain how um, your new show helps to, like, amplify and like represent um, marginalized communities. Yeah. Here's the truth with Georgia Fort will air Saturdays at 11 a.m. on the CW Twin Cities. We are launching season one, which will run for 12 weeks. And it is a continuation of my work as an independent journalist. Even in the title, you know, I think it's a reflection of the evolution of my work because for so long in changing the narrative, like I was very, you know, outspoken about my intention to change the narrative. Like you say Georgia for it, you say change the narrative in the same sentence, right? Well, so many times what I would encounter from people either in the media industry or from white folks was, well, what, like, what does that mean? Are you changing the truth? Are you changing the facts? And it's like, no. And I, I could give examples of how you change the narrative. Um, but in this chapter of my journalism, it was important to me to really lean into the fact that we are amplifying truth. We're not changing the truth. We're not changing the facts. We are amplifying the truth from a diverse perspective, and in doing so, that changes the narrative. 
So I'm so excited to share the show with the world. I think that we are changing the game in terms of how independent journalism can be done. I feel like I'm living my ancestors' wildest dreams right now. This has never been done. There's never been an independently produced show in the state of Minnesota hosted by a black woman. I believe that Pete Rhodes' show may have been independently produced and hosted by a black man, right? But also, like, what happened to that? Like, why did he, why wasn't he allowed to continue doing what he was doing because it was needed then just as much as it's needed now? So it's it's really exciting. Um, there is a segment that is a nod to my start in radio, we are doing a segment called Joyride, where we ride around the city with some of the dopest artists in Minnesota and learn about their journeys and their experiences and then also, you know, get a little performance. So that, I think, is going to be a fun segment that will bring joy into our community and bring healing into our community and, um, yeah, just be be entertaining too so um so how can young storytellers like myself um help in storytelling in terms of like bringing in inclusion and amplifying um these narratives be you be authentic and true to what you know is the right thing and what you know is important. Sometimes when you pursue a career in media, you will find yourself working for companies that want to give you an assignment. And that's fine. But, like, make sure that assignment is true to who you are and don't compromise your values or your integrity or what you know to be the truth to get a paycheck. You know, um, when you're a storyteller, you're carrying the torch of being a truth teller. And in our culture, specifically in the black culture, griots, storytellers, are like a fundamental part of who we are. A lot of our history has been passed down orally, right? Um, And so to understand the call and the responsibility of a storyteller, I think, is something that young people shouldn't take lightly, um, but that shouldn't shy away from it either, right? It's um, a powerful position to be in. Sometimes young people are, they romanticize and idolize what it is to be an activist and be on the front lines. And, you know, they have this image of what it, what they think it means to be a change maker, but being a storyteller is an essential role to the movement. So I, I, I hope that more of our young people like you will continue to bear, be bearers of our stories and be truth bearers and truth tellers. For sure. Yeah. And I can't wait for the show to, like, go global. Like, I'm so yes. excited for the show to, like, air so I can, like, watch it. Yes. <laughs> Is it going to be on any other, um, like, streaming platforms? People can watch it at georgiafort.com okay. if they want to watch it online. All right. Yep. And last but not least, is there anything you'd like to say or, or you know, just put out there that I didn't get to ask? 
Uh, I would just like to put out there that Gloria is dope. Yep, period. <laughs> and I'm excited for you. It is amazing to hear that you've gone through 360 and that you're doing this. And if I can be a resource for you moving forward, please don't hesitate to reach out. You have such a bright future. And it's it's an honor to be able to hold this space with you today. And, you know, I can't wait till you drop your show or you do your dope <laughs> thing that you're called to do. And I'm just going to be sitting back as an old lady like, I know her. I'm proud of her. So, you know. Yeah, you know, like, it's crazy because, like, you know, like, ever since, like, I think, like, a year or two ago, like, everyone, like, kept, like, telling me to, like, just, like, to reach out to you, you know, because, like, um, like, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, are you based on the east side? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, I'm from the east side. Oh, too, girl, you better so come like, over. <laughs> Stop playing. Cause, like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm from the east side, too, and it's, like, I've, like, always wanted to, like, you know, like, reach out to you and things like that, because I know that, like, you work with um, a lot of the same or, like, similar organizations that, like, I was a part of, mm-hmm. or, like, I'm currently working with, and so, yeah, like, I'm I'm really, really grateful to, like, have this interview with you and, like, to finally meet you for the first time. Likewise. Likewise. Awesome. So, yeah, guys. So that is it for this story. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you took away a lot of key factors from this story. And so, Miss Georgia, would you like to put out your socials out there for listeners to, you know, like keep up with you? Yeah. Uh, you can find all my social media links on my website, georgiafort.com, and my handle is by Georgia Fort across all platforms. Thank you for tuning in, and thanks for listening to Youth Soup and Listen Up Youth Radio. You're about to listen to youth produce content from Listen Up Youth Radio. Listen Up is a Twin City social enterprise working at the intersection of youth employment, leadership, and media production. You're listening to Youth Soup, the podcast that adds some youth to your soup. That was so good. <laughs>